Hi everybody and welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Justin. I'm Cleo. I'm James. And I'm Corinne. And this is welcome to our topic episode of Fairy Tales 2.0, where we'll be discussing The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter. Shrek 1, directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicki Jensen, and Shrek 2, directed by Andrew Adamson, Kelly Ashbury, and Conrad Vernon. And The Wolf Among Us, developed by Telltale Games. Season 1. Yeah. Just so Important that's distinction at this yes. point. So, Fairy Tales 2.0. So, like every spo- uh, topic episode, this is going to be spoilers abound. So, if you would rather not have spoilers for any of these pieces of media, uh, go and read, watch, or play them first, because we are going to be talking about everything in whole here. Everything is fair game. So. What did we learn about fairy tales from all of this content? That's a good question, because this is kind of all over the board. I mean, we have these two extremes, right? We have the Shreks, which are very light, you know, they're comedic. It's like really, it's kind of like a parody of fairy tales. And then you've got, I guess I've... Not quite, not exactly in the middle, but out of these three in the middle, I would put The Wolf Among Us, because you still, you have this noir thing going on. It's still like the gritty version of these fairy tale characters. Um, But then you have like, I would even like, I didn't say this during the episode we did on the Bloody Chamber, but I would even describe uh, Angela Carter's book as being a little bit horror-ish, especially in certain stories like the bloody chamber um but in my mind that's the that is the thing that we talked about in the series that is kind of like way way off in like the the darker corner of the spectrum yeah i would agree with that and i mean it it it's a little bit kind of trite at this point to be like oh man did you know that like the original fairy tales were actually really creepy but on the other hand it is you know i Obviously, that's not like a new insight, but it is worth pointing out that at the end of the day, um, I think that that thing where Cleo, like you brought up, like that you could describe the bloody chamber overall as having at the very least, let's say horror undertones, like let, let's even mm-hmm. kind of scale it back as much as I think we can. I think that that's arguably appropriate when, uh, looking at the source material. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like, fairy tales, as, like, as I guess I would say that we kind of knew them as children, or as most most people would have. It's like, they were these sanitized versions of, of the original tales, and they were moralistic tales more than they were, like, cautionary tales. But, like, original fairy tales feel more like cautionary tales with that sort of, like, undertone of these terrible things can and will happen because of you know, the witch of the forest, the the werewolves, your actual wolf grandmother, these things are true. Yeah. I think one thing that tends to happen, especially as people sort of talk about that notion that the, the versions of fairy tales that we tended to get when we were kids um, are very different from the originals. I think that, you often end up getting sort of like a, a value judgment on there. And I think that it largely comes from it. Frankly, I think it comes from the age when most people find out about that. And there's just like a certain teenage cynicism that comes in. But one thing that I think is worth pointing out is that I don't think that that 
modern version of most of those fairy tales and that shift from cautionary tales largely to morality tales. And even in the cases of something like Little Red Riding Hood, where you still – you get a very – a different take on that story of Little Red Riding Hood, but it still conveys don't talk to strangers. You know, I I think that there's a certain cynical judgment of the newer versions as somehow lesser than their originals, uh, which frankly I think is kind of unfair and unearned. Um, they're certainly different, but I think that they – achieve a more relevant purpose in modern times like as as a kid growing up in a city i the point of little red riding hood for me as don't talk to strangers was way more relevant than don't go in the woods so i it's something where i do think that those sort of updated versions not in the sense that we looked at them but in the sense that we kind of got them as kids is are kind of unfairly derided which I was thinking about a lot as we were going through these because it made me realize that, you know, we called this topic Fairy Tales 2.0, which sort of suggests that this is the second major version of them, which is not really true, right? Because fairy tales are under pretty active development to use our kind of, I don't know, the equivalent of our numbering scheme, right? And that what we're looking at here is, you know, arguably not really even 2.0. This is, you know... I don't know, like the hundredth or thousandth just iteration of these stories as they've changed over time. I will say one thing that I, I've i just thought of when we're talking about like what connects these, I was going to say three, but really four if we're talking about Shrek 1 and 2. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that connects all of these pieces of media um, that's kind of, I would say, fairly distinctly separate from the original source material is that all of these pieces kind of tackle in some way or another toxic Plastical. masculinity. Oh, sorry. Like that seems to be. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I thought I had it. I, I'm sorry. That was me. I, I thought I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> um, but because like with, with, um, with Shrek, it, it's, that's probably the one that touches on it the most lightly. But certainly it's, like, the subject of many of the Angela Carter stories, or at least, you know, The Bloody Chamber and a, and a few of the other ones. Um, and then with Wolf Among Us, you have, you know, more predatory characters that are male. Um, and then it's it's interesting because if you think about the original source material, it's, the warnings tend not to be so much about, like, watch out for men because they're dangerous it seems to be more, I don't know, that's that's kind of less of the focus, at least in my mind, um, given, again, there are like a million different versions of every single fairy tale out there. But I, that's something that I kind of appreciate about more modern takes on these original stories. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think even looking at the Shreks, where I agree that it is handled the most lightly, and where I think that you you get into some of the I think within Shrek, you get into some interesting stuff where it's unclear to what degree those movies are kind of implicitly giving some of those things a pass. Um, again, not explicitly. I think largely speaking, the moral of the movies is, you know, you get a character like Shrek or a character like Fiona's father sort of like moving past some of that kind of the toxic masculinity of it, but that it also does sort of 
kind of give you a wink is it's just like, oh, like it's, it's charming, but better to move past it as opposed to like, nah, this shit's bad. Um, which again, I, I don't, it, it's really hard for me to like actively get into the politics of the Shrek movies. Cause I think they're kind of all over the board when it comes to that, again, with the exception of class struggle. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's definitely there though. Like it's, and it's certainly through a lot of Wolf Among Us, though. I do wonder if it's in Wolf Among Us incidentally, because just because noir, which I think is just chock full of that shit, whether it's trying to make a point about it or not. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Well, I guess that's a... You would probably know better than any of us, James, if if it's in The Wolf Among Us incidentally or not. I mean, does it appear in the Fables comics? Like, I, I would say it appears in the Fables comics in the same sense that it appears in just all culture because it's unfortunately just like a non-trivial part of the world. Um, okay, it's, does, <laughs> does, is it engaged with uh, to any degree in any way in the Fables comics? lightly um okay it some not not explicitly uh more more in that sense that we talked a little bit about during the the fables episode the the rather the wolf among us episode where we said like well you know it beauty and beast are kind of a weird point in their story arc because a lot of their story arc does kind of involve sort of dealing with the ramifications of like we used to be royalty and we were accustomed to a certain standard of living and i think some of that ends up getting dealt with as part of like beast's character for that i guess i guess that's what i'll say because again i'm going to avoid spoilers for fables the original um so it's i think it's something that gets engaged with but kind of incidentally you know it's certainly i wouldn't call it one of the the central themes of fables as a series you know and i think that there are central themes to fables as a series i think that they're interesting and i think the ones that it does engage with it does so on a very interesting level um, but I would say that this is one that I think Fables engages with more incidentally than actively. That said, though, I think Fables does do a really good job of one of the other ways that I think it does deal with it incidentally is that it does largely paint it as not good. Um, again, I don't think it goes out of its way to. I think it does a really good job of uh, putting characters like... Um, Ooh, uh, hard not to be spoilery here. So I'm going to stick with just saying Snow White, but saying that there are many other characters who I think fall into similar positions. Um, but putting characters like Snow White uh, front and center and even just kind of Snow's arc overall is really interesting. Uh, but again, it, it does feel like the kind of thing where it's dealing with it incidentally, not actively. Uh, though that does kind of bring me to something else that I, I wanted to talk some about, uh, and specifically the fact that uh, I wanted to kind of talk about the degree to which each of these felt like it was really engaging with fairy tales. Um, because I feel like Shrek, obviously, yes, and to a pretty high degree. Uh, I think the Bloody Chamber, obviously, yes, and to a pretty high degree. And I think they each sort of take a version of those fairy tales and try and do something new with it. Uh, I think Angela Carter takes a lot of those that older sort of scary horror notion of fairy tales and maps those onto a lot of really interesting ideas. I think that Shrek takes, frankly, a lot of those lighter, more kind of just as you put it, sanitized, or even just kind of more sort of happy-go-lucky versions of fairy tales and does something new and interesting with it. Um, but the thing that I thought was really interesting was the fact that The Wolf Among Us, at the end of the day, feels twice removed from fairy tales, right? Because it feels like The Wolf Among Us is engaging with Bill Willingham's fable stories, which are themselves 
engaging with fairy tales, but I was wondering how much everyone thought The Wolf Among Us specifically feels like it was engaging with the fairy tales themselves rather than the fables universe. I feel like The Wolf Among Us takes these kind of abstract versions of these fairy tale characters and places them in this other universe, and that's kind of it as far as it goes when like it comes to exploring fairy tales um because we're not the arc the story arcs for example episode to episode or even just like overall with that game aren't super reflective of the way that fairy tales usually unfold or you know it's just it's not it doesn't have that feeling the characters are kind of they vaguely resemble their source material um but other than that, it's kind of that that's about as deep as it goes in in my opinion. I I was gonna say that I mean we we've already said it. Like The Wolf Among Us is a noir story. It's not a fairy tale story, it's a noir story using fairy tale characters. Um I think that it's easier to see the it's easier to see, you know, the engagement with the source material in in Shrek because, you know, Shrek is, for all intents and purposes, a love story, which is something we're familiar seeing with fairy tales. Maybe not fairy tales as they originally were, but certainly fairy tales as they've come to be now. Um, and then, you know, and then the Bloody Chamber feels like a fairy tale because it it more closely follows the the the, the style and the storytelling uh, of classic fairy tales in their, you know, original darker forms. Um, so because we haven't seen this this great uh, retelling of all the classic fairy tales as noir stories, seeing fairy tale characters and, and a noir and like a noir style of telling a story doesn't really jive as like being especially fairy tale. Although I honestly I'd be really into having all of the classic fairy tales reimagined as noir stories, each one individually, not like all mixed together. Right. That would be rad as hell. I've said rad as hell three times today. <laughs> were, are you, were you not, did you not grow up with the classic noir fairy tales? Um, the, you know, the, the huntsman and the, the case of the, the missing diamond. And, uh, you know, when he's, he's down on his luck and he's down, he's out, out in the woods with, with all the other, you know, the huntsmen who have been put out of jobs and you've got, you know, the, the oil fields off in the distance and the flying cars. That's more sci-fi noir, but. Listen, I think that we got to put another idea in the read, watch, play, like IP bucket and start thinking about retelling all fairy tale stories as noir stories, because that would be really great. I was trying to think, I was trying to think of a way to mash up noir and fairy tales and none of them are good no i there's there's noir a noir tales there. is not not really any and then there's like fairy noir and like that's kind of interesting hard-boiled fairies but yeah so i don't know i feel like i i thought that was really that ended up being a really interesting i thought takeaway to this and again i i think that grin you're you're exactly right where it feels like it's or just in general that the wolf among us is engaging with fables not with fairy tales and that it is fairy tale characters is kind of incidental um i think that even kind of shows through even more with the fact that the characters that it chose to bring in that were not part of the original fables universe are all more urban legends than classic fairy tales per se oh is bloody mary not a fables character 
No, not generally. Jersey Devil and Bloody Mary, uh, I think, are are unique. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna admit to everyone that uh, Bloody Mary was kind of hot. <laughs> like oh, I, I know she was, was like given. I know she was like definitely like psychotic and very bad, but she was kind of hot. <laughs> yeah, she's a femme fatale. Well, sort of. No. Yeah. No. She's she's the, the gun that p- comes mysteriously out of the shadows to point at the protagonist back halfway through the movie. And she is a sexy version of that, I guess. A sexy gun. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, that's what I want is, uh, for Halloween this year. Yeah. A sexy gun coming yeah. out of the shadows to point at the back of a noir protagonist? Yeah, yeah. Really specific. How many people got the got the costume? You know, it turns out it's one of those things where it's very specific, but it's also just like very totemic. You know, it just sure. kind of speaks to something that everyone just kind of understands right away. Um, I it, no one got it until I made it sexy, though. Believe it or not, that was the weird part. Um, <laughs> so, as far as fairy tales go, um, I so we can we can agree that. Overall, uh, the Shreks and um, the Bloody Chamber are probably are are certainly the ones engaging with fairy tailery um, the most out of out of the things that we picked. I was I was kind of curious about I don't not necessarily which of those people preferred, but which one I guess felt more like a fairy tale to to everybody. Um, was kind of my my follow up to that that initial thing of saying that like it seems like it's not Wolf Among Us, but given the two that do seem to be engaging directly with fairy tales, like which of these feels more more like that? I mean, on the face of it, I feel like it's got to be Bloody Chamber and and the rest of those stories, right? Like Shrek is like Shrek itself does not feel like a fairy tale. Well, Shrek feels like what our modern idea of a fairy tale is, which is the the Disney version of, of fairy tales. Yeah, I guess maybe that's why. I don't... You know, all of these stories reimagined as, more or less as, as love stories. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think it's that one feels more or less like fairy tales. I think that I think that both are looking at fairy tales from different eras. And we could also say that the Wolf Among Us is also looking at fairy tales from a different era. It's just that era is in the future because we have not yet written the Read, Watch, Play book of more fairy tales. It's mm. true. True. Way ahead of its fairy, time. Fairy boiled hardtails. <laughs> you know, the more we bring that up, the harder it's going to be to pull that out of the episode. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I'm not. I'm not saying you should apologize. I'm just, yeah. I, more bringing it up is just so we can be on board. Whether that's the intention, if if the goal is to just bring it up so often that we can't cut it, because that's okay. But we can save you the work. We can just commit to keeping it at this point. And... You're not going to share fairy boiled hardtails with the world. <laughs> I'm glad you couldn't get through that sentence. <laughs> that can be our slogan. It's like, you know, share a Coke. It's like share fairy boiled hardtails with the world. It's our call to action for this, this episode. Um, I don't know why I've lost it so hard for this episode. I was so good. So how about you, Cleo? Was there kind of one of those two that feels more like a fairy tale to you? I mean, definitely Bloody Chamber. Because, I mean, Bloody Chamber is written to be 
kind of stylized similarly. I mean, the the flow of it, it's similar to that of a traditional fairy tale and that it's not that it's like this thing happened and then this thing happened and then the end, this thing happened. But that is kind of like the... So in my mind, Shrek, both of them are like Hollywood fairy tale, right? Like it has to follow kind of a more traditional movie structure in order for it to really work as a film unless you're going to be like experimental because you do have fairy tale films that are much more like the actual source material like you have the original beauty and the beast which i feel is much more faithful in spirit to the original beauty and the beast than anything since then are you talking about la belle at la yes yes that that is the one i'm speaking of and then you have some weird artsy film versions of Bluebeard. Um, one that I also, because Bluebeard is originally a French fairy tale. I believe the one I watched was French and it was kind of like, it was just really weird. Um, like not bad weird, but like kind of like surreal. It's very French. Um, <laughs> and we, I'm trying to think of other adaptations that are kind of out there, but but Trek had to be, it was a kid's movie. It has to be appealing to kids. Kids are kind of used to a certain structure in films and also successful films in general follow certain beats. And that's just kind of how it is. Like popular movies kind of fall that way. Uh, Angela Carter's stories are much more kind of in tune with how fairy tales originally are. Given, I think her stories are more insightful but they read relatively similarly. Uh, and I'm trying to. I I almost want to ask the normal question of like, which universe would you want to live in? But like, no one's gonna say, "Oh yeah, bloody chamber," um, or Wolf Among Us, because everyone looks like they're living in gross fucking apartments. But also, I don't know. I feel like I'd go crazy living in Trek World. Oh God, yes. I, I mean, can, can we see? Like, I mean, I guess Wolf Among Us is just our world, right? Well, it's like, it's pre-Giuliani New York, pretty much, with, like, this weird fairy tale section. Yeah. I The thing that is hardest about that for me is, again, just having the context of the rest of Fables doesn't necessarily make it, like, better or worse, but it's the kind of thing where I'm like, ooh, but I don't know how I would feel about living, and, like, even if it's like, oh, you'd be, like, living in Fable Town, I'd be like, oh, but, like, I know that there's, like, this, this, and this involved, and it's just not helpful to this conversation. <laughs> I would say I'd be really frustrated living in the Wolf Among Us world because I just yell at everybody to get a goddamn job. I'd become like, I'd become a Republican in if I lived in the world of fables. I nope. You don't you don't follow that. No, it's it's not that. I was gonna there. There's a you know it, it's it wasn't a good enough joke to make, and it's not a good enough joke to explain. But now we have to hear it. I it was I was going to make a joke about birth certificates, which is the uh, hand not necessarily hand wavy, but is the canonical reason why many of the fables can't get Monday jobs. Um, and I was going to see if I could tie that back around to republicanism, but that seemed even now, so many years later, in poor taste. <laughs> in in light of other current events, I don't know. It's definitely hard because I I agree. I don't think I'd be able to handle shrek world it's it's too wacky i i can't i can't deal with that much wackiness on a day-to-day basis like i think i would have to pick wolf among us because yeah bloody chamber sounds just danger at every turn that 
I'm not up for that. I'm. Although I will say, I mean, almost every story in the Bloody Chamber, like anthology, had a happy ending. Not all of them, but most of them did. Yeah, I just feel like I'm gonna end up being like. I don't know, the person who, like, needs help from the, the guy in Puss in Boots when he's pretending to be a doctor and then just gets, like, pushed away because it's actually, like, an elaborate scheme to, like, have sex with a lady. And I feel like I just wouldn't – I'd be there, like, in need of these services and just wouldn't be able to get anything done. Well, okay, we got to do our classic thing. Are we allowing ourselves to be protagonists of these stories or just incidental in these universes? I mean, I think for something like Bloody Chamber, that's just hard to do. You don't have, like, a consistent thing. You're you're making yourself like the protagonist of... I, okay, so you incidentally live in, like, the early to mid 20th century. But where lots of weird supernatural shit happens. Okay. That's, honestly, that's not too bad. I guess. I just, I, like, I feel like James. Like, I would be the guy who on his wedding night goes out to take a piss and gets turned into a wolf for seven years. <laughs> and... I... <laughs> Like, I feel like if we all learned how to seduce wolves, yeah, then, then we would be okay. <laughs> that's a key skill. And a maybe, key skill. maybe that's just the argument, right? Just if you can get that down, then, then you can get by. See, one thing that I think is really interesting about this with regards to the Bloody Chamber is it does seem to be that supernatural shit happens, but by and large, only once to you. I, I sort of get the impression that there is a certain amount of, and then they lived happily ever after, even if it's not necessarily happily, but like that from these things on, things sort of proceed pretty normally. Now, my other anxiety though is that I could end up the protagonist in like, uh, what was it, like the, the Lady of the House of Love or something like that, when I just die in World War One, And <laughs> that that would be my other concern is that, there, there are a lot of people who are even arguably protagonists, but are protagonists largely to demonstrate the danger that the next protagonist has to face. So it seems like you've got like... There's a freeform LARP in this somewhere. Yeah, right? Like, I don't know. It seems like you've got maybe like a one in four shot of being the one that makes it in the end versus being like an example. Feels like the truest answer is really like none of the above for once. Though... It does seem that if if we were to live in the Bloody Chambers, one of the Bloody Chambers worlds, it seems like there's a non-trivial chance that we are fabulously wealthy, though we might be murdered by our cats. I mean, to live in the world of Bloody Chambers, to, to survive it, I suppose, one has to be relatively naive to, but willing to take control of their sexuality and not be a shithead to women. Or a lion. Or a lion. Actually, no, I forgot about that. I could be like a lion or tiger in this universe who wears like a, a human suit that is apparently very convincing. I want that. <laughs> like some kind of inverse furry. That. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we should have titled this series Inverse Furries. It is... I was going to say it's not too late, but it is in fact too late. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of a recurring theme, isn't it? A little bit. In all, all of our episodes. 
I, I, I would challenge a listener to go back and listen to the entire series and see if they can find this theme through just from day one. Okay, so honestly, I'm warming up on on the bloody chamber as an answer. Yeah, yeah. I honestly like I the the whole like I turned into a Republican thing was kind of a joke, but also kind of serious. Like I would be so stressed out all the time by everybody's inability to get anything productive done because of all of the corruption in the government and all of the crime and just you know we'd be right at the dividing line like. We would literally be able to stand on one corner on a street and look across and see productive people doing their jobs, paying their taxes, and not living under the the thumb of wacky crime bosses. Like, it would be so frustrating. I... I, I do feel like I have to say, to be totally fair, the argument of fables on the whole is that these people are put in this position because they are refugees. Like, it, that is... I, it, before you dig a hole that you might not realize you're digging yourself, I the the point of the series is that is not necessarily that everyone doesn't want to do that. It's that they are refugees from a war torn land, and because of that circumstance, are finding themselves having to make a life for themselves in America, where that is not as easy as was promised. Okay. I to be for for the sake of total fairness, not that you're wrong, and again, given the context that you have from the Wolf Among Us. Absolutely. The Wolf Among Us absolutely fails to pull that context in. Um, but to be to be totally fair, if there are any Fables fans listening, that that context is there. It's just not there in the game. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to take a bold stance here and say I also don't want to be a refugee. That is, like, the hardest, most terrible thing. So yeah. also going to pass on that experience if I have my druthers. This version, this hypothetical version of Corinne in um, Wolf Among Us is kind of reminding me of that one-shot episode with conservative Shaggy, where it's yep. Scooby-Doo, uh, yep. Pooch on the Doorstep, Scooby-Doo meets Lovecraft. Yeah, that's fair. It's just like, you put certain people from one universe in another universe, and suddenly they turn into something somewhat completely different. Yeah, that's, yep, that's pretty accurate. And I, I love that you referenced it, because, God, I've been... Trying to get people to listen to one shot for like seven years. <laughs> yeah, I think I would have to go with Bloody Chamber because, I mean, you have the option. If you, you know, are lucky enough to end up in a story where this is possible, and if you kind of like aren't a shitty person and you're generally smart, you have the option of becoming like pretty fabulously wealthy uh, at the end or like throughout. And I don't know. I mean, like when you talk, like looking at the Bloody Chamber specifically. Her life prior to, like, marrying this, like, predator um, didn't seem that bad. Like, I like the idea of, like, oh, you live in a nice small apartment with your mom and, like, you practice music at the conservatory. And, like, you're poor, but, like, you still get to kind of dance around the outskirts of high society. Um, Romantically poor. Romantically poor. Yeah, the (laughs) In Paris, like that doesn't yeah. sound so bad. I mean, compa- I mean, given I would not like to be the Snow Child in the Snow Child, like that would be awful. You exist for five seconds only to be raped, like that would be a really horrible. If you, if we, like, if I were to design a free form art based on this and be like, you roll the dice to determine what story you're in, and then you roll the dice to determine which character you are, 
Like, I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that gamble because the bad outcomes are real bad. Yeah, let's not, let's not, let's not do that. <laughs> let's take that, let's never put that anywhere near the read, watch, play, IP bucket. Yeah, let's put that in the other bucket, the the one that leads straight to the furnace. <laughs> so, we are, we are coming up on the end of our allotted time. We'll see how long this episode ends up being based on how much we cut, but... Um, as we, as we approach the 40 minute mark, there was one thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, across all of these that is only somewhat related to fairy tales overall, um, which is why I wanted to kind of save it for the end. And that's magic. So the Shrek series pretty explicitly has magic all up in there. That's like central to the thing. Uh, the wolf among us is pretty light on magic per se, but certainly has magical elements. You're not dealing a lot with explicit spells, but you have enchantments, you have curses, etc. Um, and I would go so far as to argue that the Bloody Chamber, while generally kind of rooted in a certain realism with, you know, things, again, like obviously like werewolves sort of creeping in at the edges, I would argue also has like a certain level of magic to it even in its most uh, down-to-earth stories. Um, one thing that I think sort of comes up a lot that I thought was really interesting was sort of this notion of uh, a housekeeper and their keys. And there's several points where there's this notion of just like whoever literally is holding the key ring seems to have power in the house, whether it's literally the kind of passing of keys from the Bluebeard character to the protagonist in the bloody chamber and now she has access to these places and with that power she has that kind of capacity for finding things that ultimately it turns out he sort of set her up to find um but even in something like uh i think it comes up in puss in boots and in, in at least one of the other stories certainly the notion of like this key ring comes up in like lady of the house of love but i think even there's a scene in puss in boots where the 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 young woman with whom the not the protagonist but uh, the the master so to speak the puss's guy friend um his bro let us say interest. yeah the human yeah the human love interest um like almost sort of scrambles for the housekeeper's keys and when she has them she has like power over the housekeeper it's it seems very emblematic and you know it but it does seem that there is like a, a certain magic that goes through the stories, even the more mundane ones. I was really curious about just what other people thought of that and like the the role of magic in fairy tales, and even like the role of the fantastic in fairy tales. Like even say the Bloody Chamber itself, like we talk about that as a fairy tale because it feels like Bluebeard, and it, I mean it's obviously inspired by Bluebeard, and because it's part of this collection. But um, there's not a whole lot in it by way of fairies you know so to speak that that sort of fantastic twist um well there's the there's the bloodstained key and the mark that never leaves her forehead true yeah that's true that's definitely in there i think that i think that each story kind of has its own sort of discrete explicit example of magic um maybe not necessarily always explicit but there i, I feel like there's a discrete example of magic in each story um but a lot of them are, a lot of them can be, I guess, more subtle than typical fairy tale magic. Certainly more subtle than Trek. Doesn't take much. Yeah. 
one example that I really enjoyed, I think this was in Mr. Tiger, um, is where she has like a literal like automaton. And like obviously like the, the primary magic in that is that this tiger's human suit has convinced everybody that there is not a fucking tiger behind it. Um, and I, you know, I suppose the tiger can talk, but mainly the, the deception. But little things like that where it does seem that uh, Carter does seem to like edge away from just being like, oh, it's an enchanted thing. It's like, no, it is an automaton. And now it it behaves in a way that is fantastical, but it doesn't just get like magicked away, which I thought was, I don't know, which I thought was an interesting touch to it. You know, it's not that it became enchanted. It's just the world just sort of is as it is. And that way that it is, is a bit fantastic. You know, It's weird because like, in the bloody chamber, in all the stories, I feel like, and this is kind of true for most fairy tales, where it's like the magic cap, magic is rare. I'll say a lot of the time, like it's not like everybody's not like a mage, but like it's also accepted for the most part that like, oh yeah, this is a thing that exists in our world. So it's not like when it happens, like oh my god, my reality has completely been shattered. But also pe- people are just like generally pretty accepting of like, oh yeah, like I can do this thing this one time or like this one thing happened to me and like I for some reason know how to take advantage of it or use it um, and I know exactly how it works even though this is like a this never happened to me before kind of thing. And that kind of knowledge is, I don't know, the rules of it are a little bit weird and amorphous. Like... Is it something that happened to their parents also, like, one time? And so, because of that reason, they know how to make it work? Um, yeah. It's it's the rules of magic and fairy tales are very wobbly. Yeah, and I, I think I actually, I, I really liked that. As strange as it sounds, that feels almost more like a fairy tale to me. Kind of that... I don't know, which it shouldn't necessarily. Again, it's not that a fairy tale can't have someone like a witch who, you know, performs enchantments, etc. But I, that sort of notion that there are fantastical elements to the world, um, I don't know, that feels very much in line with me, with what a fairy tale is. You know, it that you that you find these fantastical elements as opposed to something fantastical occurs. Um, again, like in Shrek where there are like enchantments being cast, etc. Um, and it's weird cause I, I don't know that I'm necessarily justified in feeling that way, but it's definitely, I don't know, the, the gut reaction that I have, you know, did anyone else get that? What that magical realism feels better than explicit spellcasting? Hey, or even just that it feels more appropriate to a fairy tale specifically. Um, cause I, I can say that yes, generally I do prefer magical realism, but that's like as a separate taste thing, but in this case, just that it felt more appropriate to the style of storytelling, almost. I, I'm i inclined to agree. I mean, most fairy tales... I don't know. I, everybody's Everybody plays a straight man in fairy tales. Everybody just accepts all the things that are happening unquestioningly, even if it's, you know, even if it's like, if you can feel a pee at the bottom of all of these mattresses, then you're a princess. Like, fairy tale logic is definitely a thing, and it it feels like magical realism falls in line with fairy tale logic more than explicit spellcasting does. Also, I kind of think of it like 
I don't know, fairy tales, like, the idea of being able to think of yourself in the shoes of a protagonist in most of these fairy tales, like, the almost the idea in a lot of them is, is this idea of self-insertion, to be able to believe in yourself in the role of the main character. And magical, like, magical realism is almost, almost makes that easier. Like, that, that you're putting yourself in a world where this feels normal and commonplace and only a little bit weird versus being, like, magical spells and, like, definitively, like, this is a weird other thing, you know? As opposed to something just being, like, slightly supernatural and everybody kind of accepts it. It is one of the things that I think ends up being interesting about uh, fables in general, but more specifically The Wolf Among Us, where just it it almost feels like because it is a concentration of fantastical elements that it almost feels like it's bordering on too much it, that that makes it that sounds more not judgmental but like critical than I than I mean it to be. But I think it is one of the things that I think ends up being really nice about the Bloody Chamber is that while there are fantastical elements, it's usually limited to a couple. You know, it it feels it makes them feel special almost. You know what I mean? I just keep thinking of like all of the people in the like quote unquote universe of the Bloody Chamber and all those other stories. Like everybody who manages to live to like their seventies or eighties just. They all have that story. They just gather around and like share their stories of that one time something happened. I believe it. Well, speaking of getting on into 60s and 70s, um, we are, I would say we are approaching the, the usual point where we would call time for, for one of these. Is there anything else that anyone wants to get in under the wire? I think we covered pretty much everything. All right. Well, with that, uh, let's... Let's put a bow on Fairy Tales 2.0, and we will send it off into the mysterious unknowns of the future, where it will become noiry, and we'll come back, and we, we will be justified in our selection of The Wolf Among Us. So, our next topic, which is going to be starting in January, because we've got some seasonal content coming up for the holidays, is going to be Meddling Kids. Uh, for this, we are going to be reading Meddling Kids by Edmund Cantero. We are going to be watching Stranger Things Season 2, and we are going to be playing Oxenfree by Night School Games. So until then, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Read, Watch, Play. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is to tell your friends about the show. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at RWP Podcast or like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RWP Podcast. So, uh... <laughs> that was good. That was fine. <laughs> so as far as... We need a second. Uh, you, you, need a second. <laughs> A break. <laughs> good, good. All right, all right. Let's let's be fucking professionals about this. It's the name of this podcast: fucking professionals fucking read, prof- watch, and play. <laughs> Side, fucking professionals would be. A, a, I don't know what the podcast is. So it would be a good one. Um, anyway, I want a aloha teriyaki so bad right now. I'm not going to respond to that. Um, <laughs> Just don't. <laughs>